When we have from early years dissociated from the language of our body, when it comes knocking, when it has something to tell us and it gives us a sensation, we don't understand it. Welcome to the Liminal Zone Alchemist, the podcast for when you're stuck between the patterns of your past and the pull of your purpose. I'm your host, Sally Hardy, and each week I'll be challenging your understanding of what it is to be a human in the modern world. I'll help you free your innate genius from the socialized shadows, reconnect with your inner knowing and lean into that pool, letting your purpose guide and support you with ease to the impact that only you can make in the world. Okay, get comfy, set your brain to curious, and let's get on with the episode. Hi, how are you doing today? I wanted to talk to you about trust. I found from personal experience that knowing why something is the way it is in the first place makes it easier for me to see a solution that could work for me. And it also allows me to have a little bit of separation from whatever the issue is. So while I say I want to talk to you about trust, actually, what I want to talk to you about is why you mistrust, why you mistrust yourself specifically. Brains are born with a primary function, and that primary function is survival. I think it's a very good primary function. <laughs> I, am, I am pro the primary function of the brain, survival. And it's born with two methods of achieving this. Both of these evolutionary methods, systems, are very beneficial to us. One allows us to exist in a socialized setting, and another allows us to exist in a more animalistic sense. So we have attachment, hardwired into us, like little social antenna when we're born. We have mirror neurons smattered through our brains that allow us to internalize the expressions of others as something that pleases us or something that displeases us, relating to whether we believe they are pleased or displeased. In effect, we are born people pleasers because we're little useless blobs of vulnerable flesh when we are born. We cannot take care of ourselves. Human babies are incredibly vulnerable. We require another bigger, stronger human to look after us. So this people-pleasing antenna arrives with us when we're born. We learn very quickly the behaviors that are approved of within a family and those that are disapproved of. So let's just pop that to the side. The other strategy that we're born with, authenticity, that allows us to exist in an animalistic sense that's the sort of thing like the hackles that go up on the back of your neck if you feel like you're being watched or like a little monkey in the jungle scrabbling around eating a load of nuts. If it senses there's a predator close by, it's going to scarper up the closest tree. It's not just going to keep eating. It's that body to brain connection, that language. And it's two way. We can learn and relearn. We are born with an ability to self-express where our insides and our outsides matched. I'm hungry. I'm crying. I'm lonely. I'm crying. Listen, as babies, most of the results are crying. If you listen to that crying long enough, often you can make out the nuances of a baby's cry. Sometimes babies don't get listened to. Sometimes that behavior is not approved of. And what happens very quickly is that an infant biases towards attachment, biases towards the behavior that is approved of with the bigger, stronger humans that are way more likely to ensure the baby's survival than it being on its own in a jungle, being required to, to sense predators coming. That's not a thing that is as relevant in that very early baby stage. 
So simply putting, attachment trumps authenticity. Doing what we can to increase the chances of somebody else looking after us when we're a helpless little blob gives us a greater chance of survival than having our insides and our outsides matched, having our natural wants and desires or our natural dislikes out there in the world. Now, if your brain works as mine does, very quickly you're going to be hearing, oh, hang on a minute. So people-pleasing allowed me to survive. Oh, so it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good strategy. Yes, it is. It is. And burying myself, not behaving as I naturally wished to, was something that I learned to survive. Oh, that was quite a sensible strategy. Yes, 100%. It absolutely is. I think the issue comes when we don't have a class in school that tells us how to address the bias that is given to attachment over authenticity. Society quite benefits from people being socially minded versus independently minded. And there is this idea of an either or. Either you are pleasing people or you are selfish and pleasing yourself. There is no in between. And I'd love to offer you that actually both of these together create a very healthy, thriving life. But we live our lives living out the attachment that we learned when we were babies. That was a really good strategy, but it may not now be serving us. I studied anthropology. If you think about how many, many moons ago, children were raised by many people, not just the primary caregivers in a smaller nuclear family that we mostly have in a Western culture now, not exclusively, but most, mostly, that there were many more influences on our attachment. We would have had many more people approving or disapproving of many more different natural qualities that we have. And I believe in those cultures, at least I studied in those cultures, that children would reach a certain point and their natural abilities, their way of doing things would have been recognized, celebrated and encouraged, which makes sense. If you've got somebody who is incredibly accurate at hitting an animal with a stone from 20 paces, then hunting makes sense. If you've got somebody who is a natural gift for growing something, then being part of that section of the community makes sense. Why would you teach a fish to climb a tree, right? But now we have the same menagerie of human skills, but we're all trained to be one way, the same way, one animal, to niche to be the same kind of human. Or if you aren't the same kind of human as the human that's accepted by your culture, then we feel bad about it because the, the social antenna, the attachment antennas that we have are telling us that we're in danger and we don't have the ability of authenticity, that ability of the, the learning the language of our body that naturally would have matured. We don't have access to that. We aren't encouraged into that and therefore we can't rely on it. We don't speak that language. We're supposed to be largely in the Western world Productive, unemotional, small, deferential. We are trained in school that scholastic thinking, academia, is more important than other skills. There's this primacy of thought. 
if you're great at English and not so great at maths, you're probably going to get more maths lessons, not be encouraged to thrive in English because that comes really easy to you. So you don't get to enjoy that in the same way. You must do the hard thing so that everybody has exactly the same level. Everybody knows exactly the same stuff. Everybody has exactly the same chance. But we're not all exactly the same. This isn't to say that academia isn't important. It is. But there's no value hierarchy in natural skills. A banker and the skills that a banker may have isn't value-based higher than a farmer and the natural skills that a farmer may have or an entertainer's value based over a professor of theoretical physics. But there is a functional hierarchy. Farmers may be functionally better at growing crops or, or raising livestock than a banker. And a banker functionally may be better at managing money, money movement, exchange rates, digits, figures, you would hope. We are, we're born functionally different and then we are scared. We are scared into being the same or judging ourselves for being different because that, that measure of people-pleasing that was designed to see us through those early stages to allow us to develop mental models of how to be with other people in communication rules our life. That's the only of these two skills, these two evolutionary strategies that we have, that's the only one that we are leaning on, that we are relying on. And I think one of the reasons why the school system is set up that it is so important for children to excel in all subjects is that we've got a world that is set up that requires academic ability. It's rewarded, but it has been set up by humans. Humans who have decided that there is a value hierarchy in skills that are rewarded or not rewarded with pay, with status, and skill-based jobs are often patronized. So when you've grown up with this kind of do it the right way or you will face disapproval and your brain has a belief that the disapproval of others genuinely threatens your survival because we haven't learned how to rely on ourselves, how to understand the language of our body. This high or low level of, of fear, the stressors, the social stressors that encourage the fight or the flight, the freeze, the fawn, the fit in, depending on your lived experience, your cultural upbringing, your epigenetics, what this does is it covers up our ability to understand ourselves. It covers up our usness. It encourages us to be the standardized norm, someone other than who we innately naturally are. It actually requires us to dull down the language of our body, that language of knowing, that language of want, of desires, of enthusiasm, of curiosity, of what lights me up and I'll go do that. We give over our, like how we should be doing life to those outside of us. We spend our energy managing the socialized version of us that ticks the right boxes. We continue to disassociate. This word disassociation or disassociate is a word that often people will connect to trauma. And that's quite right. It is an act of leaving the sensations of our body, of, of, of moving 
disassociating from the sensations in our body, moving out of our awareness when what's happening in our life is too fast, too loud, too much in some way for our body to handle. But it does also happen in early years as a protection strategy, that this disassociation becomes a strategy that we carry through with us. We disassociate from our authentic self, from our body's innate way of being to best secure, as far as our brain is concerned, our survival in the world. Like I said, we never have a class in school that shows us how to come back home. When we have from early years dissociated from the language of our body, when it comes knocking, when it has something to tell us and it gives us a sensation, we don't understand it. It's frightening to us. When it comes to tell us something important, our first learned way of managing that is to ignore it. And our second way, if we do hear something of the language, is to then look outside of ourselves to validate what we're feeling externally rather than trust internally. And I think a good example of this is when you're talking to somebody and the words that are coming out of their mouth don't match what they feel like. So somebody may be saying, I totally agree. I think that's absolutely what you should do. And something in your body is going, I just don't believe you. I don't know why. I don't know why, because you're saying the thing, but I, there's something in me that's picking up that that's not genuine or, or what, what you believe isn't matching what's coming out of your mouth. But rather than trusting that, we're like, oh, well, we must be wrong. I must be wrong. I must be misunderstanding. You don't trust that language that comes up from your body. And when we believe an external source, somebody's words over how we genuinely feel what their meaning is, when we believe an external source over our internal knowing, in effect, this is a form of internalized gaslighting, which is where we dismiss our own experience because of the influence of another, to the point that we disbelieve and we distrust, we mistrust, distrust, do not trust, untrust, whatever resonates for you. We have no faith that how we feel is accurate. We look outside of ourselves for justification of it. And often this comes alongside a belief that if we are feeling a certain way and those who we ask are not, that we are wrong. I am wrong. Because maybe I can't deny what it is I'm feeling, but I'm pretty certain that everybody else knows better than me. Because everybody else has got it figured out. Everybody else, like this idea that there is one version of a human, but this is what we're encouraged to think. One version of a human, the productive, the efficient, the consistent, the this, the that, the, the other, this kind of white noise of standardized norm. I should never change my mind. That means I'm flaky. Everyone's going to know I'm flaky. I'm so stupid because I didn't pass that exam or I didn't understand what that person said. None of these things are true, but they are culturally upheld by this narrow niche of training that's available to the vast majority of us in the Western world. This training to be the standardized norm this training against the standardized norm. 
And you also may have in your lived experience a lot of modelled behaviour. You may have seen people in your life undermining other people's experiences of the world, other people's lived experiences. You may have seen um, somebody talk about, uh, well, my trauma was more important than your trauma, or this is trauma with a little T versus trauma with a big T. No, trauma is how your body reacts to something that's happening and it's your lived experience. Nobody can ever tell you that you have not had a traumatic experience, but we think that they can. We think that other people have got the measure of us. Other people know more about us than we do. Maybe you have been in a partnership where chunks were taken out of you or you took chunks out of the other person in ways that undermined their lived experience or they undermined yours. Because in effect, we have been culturally trained to have this level of cognitive dissonance about ourselves, about our feelings, about the language that comes up and the thoughts that we overthink them with, that we run right over the top of them with. We think the thoughts that we borrow from other people are the right ones, are the normal ones, but they are just other people's thoughts that they told us about, that we have learned, that we have inherited. And cognitive dissonance is when what we believe to be true and the information we're presented with don't match. Like cognitive dissonance of hearing somebody talk, but feeling that what they mean is not what they're saying. That's cognitive dissonance. And brains like to choose. When cognitive dissonance comes up, we like to choose. And very often the brain will choose the path of least resistance, which is to continue to believe something that you've already believed rather than to challenge it because that uses brain energy. The cognitive dissonance, this kind of jarring that's caused by our internalized models, other people's thoughts that we've, we were given so young that we learned how to behave in a certain way to not disprove other people. We learned this at such a young age that we don't question them as truth. These internalized models of how to be, these are what lead to inner distrust, to internalize gaslighting, self-gaslighting. I shouldn't feel like that. I don't understand why I'm upset. Nobody else would be upset. I must be wrong. I'm not normal. I need fixing. Please fix me, someone else. Those mental models, we then project them onto other people and we unwittingly continue this cycle. But the point that I'm trying to make through all of this is that none of this is a character flaw. It is not your fault. You were not born doubting yourself. You simply have not yet learned to remember that you are self-sufficient. Nothing's gone wrong. You're a human adult or whatever age you are, maybe not an adult. You're highly trained in the socialized ways of the world and you're probably really good at it. And it may have got you some great results. But if you have this discord, this dissonance between what you're picking up from the world or the messages that you're coming through, or you have anxiety or panic, or you have sensations that you are avoiding, or you're activated, you're easily, you're quickly triggered. If your insides and your reactions are disproportionate to the world, I know that your authentic self is reaching out to you and your socialized mind does not yet remember that it already knows this language, that it could be comfortable and confident 
understanding and hearing. And when that two-way conversation begins, what you pick up from the world and what it means can be learned, can be changed, can be amended. You can influence it. But like I say, none of this is not your fault. But even though it is your fault, excuse me, (laughs) there we go. Even though it is not your fault, I believe it is your, our, my responsibility to break the repeating patterns of this, because this is how we change the world. One us at a time. And you can do this. It is totally possible. I, I have worked with many clients where we have done exactly this. How? <laughs> how do we do this? Because brains have a how, right? Well, the really the first thing is to become aware of the fact that this exists, that this is not your fault, that you can see this behavior within yourself where you are holding yourself and others hostage to a standardized norm that was simply something that was made up by someone else. And then we just all kept kind of running with a baton. You can find where you may be dismissing your experience, belittling it, disbelieving it, ignoring the sensations of your body and what it's trying to tell you in favor of somebody else's experience or what somebody else is telling you of their experience. And wonder, why am I doing this? Do I, do I want to be doing this? What am I benefiting from this? You can look to where your influence on others who may not be aware of this is tied to rules that you may not agree with. Where are you encouraging others to bypass their intuition, their sense of self, their lived experience? Where are you asking others not to trust themselves? Maybe to trust you over and above them. That's good to know. It's something to be curious about. Because you'll find that where you're doing this with others, you're also treating yourself this way. You're also asking yourself not to trust you. Are there things in the world that you're genuinely drawn to that all of your social training is telling you you can't do or you shouldn't do? Get curious about that. Are those voices, those rules true? Are they? They may feel it, but are they? You get to re-engage with your body and learn that it could be a safe space to be. Simple things like being present while you're washing your hands, feeling the sensation of the water, hearing the water hit the sink. Whatever senses you have that are available to you, accepting that not everybody is abled in the same way. Where are your senses most enjoyable? What can you do to engage with them? Maybe it's touch. Maybe it's taste. Does your body feel comfortable to be in? Does it feel safe? How do you know when you're excited as opposed to nervous? Just be curious. Pay attention when you're talking to others. Do you believe their words just flat out? Or if there's something else that your body is picking up on, do you spend a little time with that? What if it could be trusted information? You don't have to do anything different, but what a wealth of knowing you may have been bypassing, ignoring, just because you didn't trust it. But now you know why you didn't trust it. These are very sensible, helpful strategies that our bodies have had since birth. And we simply 
weren't ever informed that they didn't have to be the strategies for the whole life. You get to choose. You get to re-engage with yourself and keep skills that you have from this socialized mind. You and I are in an incredibly privileged position of now being able to do better, to be, and I say better, not in a value hierarchy, better as in what serves you. You get to change those things because in the words of Maya Angelou, if you know better, you do better. I hope that this podcast provides you with some level of awareness that there is a whole part of you that you may not have been engaging with that is very trustworthy and that you can learn is a safe space to be with a rich wealth of information to allow you to be both self-sufficient and interdependent with other people because we are social creatures. We want friends. We want, I mean, some of us, most of us, some of us don't. We want friends, want love, want people in our lives. And you get to be you. There are possibilities there. You get to just be curious. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope very much that you did, don't forget to hit subscribe so all future episodes get automatically downloaded to your listening platform. And come hang out with me over on Instagram. My handle is at sallyhardy underscore coach. 